0: The JTAC Podcast, episode 28. Send it. I can do that. JTACs. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. Okay, Uh, welcome everybody to the JTAC Podcast, episode number 28. Uh, We're going to look into uh, another side of our business. Um, Ty, appreciate you coming on, mate. Appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, good to be involved.
0: As I always say at the beginning of these things, like uh, everyone's opinion here is their own and not that of any organisation. We're just here to have some light-hearted conversation, maybe lift the curtain a little bit for people. Um, so what I like to do is give people a bit of background. Obviously, they're just listening to a voice. So where do you come from? Where did you grow up? What's your family like? What was school like for you? What sort of led you up until the point where... You
1: signed on the dotted line and decided to serve? Um, I grew up in Ketron in Northamptonshire. Um, um, i I'll say I, I, I never really knew what I wanted to do with myself, sort of past the next school holiday, really. Yeah. Um, uh, quite a sort of a standard, normal. Family upgrade I've got a a younger sister. I played sport at school, but just sort of um, in PE lessons. Right? I, I never really sort of felt the urge to competitive go out. but I enjoyed sort of rugby, basketball. He looks cool. That <laughs> that looks really good. Yeah, and he, he was a royal engineer. And then I started got the books out. What do the royal engineers do? And I think one of the first things I saw was one of the the bridging tanks with okay. the, the big bridge and that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen and sort of after that, yeah, I want to be in the army. And I didn't, uh, I didn't really, uh, I was always into art and drawing and I actually quite fancied becoming an illustrator for sort of comics. Yeah. Um, and then one of my dad's workmates, his son was in the army and he was home one weekend and he, I saw him in his uniform and I was like, want to be in a particular part of the army. I just knew I wanted to be a soldier. I want to do all that, yeah. that. like World War II, World War I um, yeah. career yeah, and that, that sort of thing. Do you have anyone in the family
0: that served or was that the first time you'd had like an exposure to it? Or did you find out maybe more about the family serving once yeah, you it, sparked an interest?
1: So my parents um, were never in the military. I I had an uncle who did national service with a tank regiment, I think, the Hussars. But he finished his national service just before Korea. So he used to say that, yeah, I dodged a bullet there, quite (laughs) literally. Of course, it was like my grandparents. That kind of sort of led me down into history and learning more about both sides had been in the military. It wasn't until I started it being becoming more interested in, in the military that they'd speak to me a little bit more, maybe opened up a little bit more about the sort of things that they'd done. Grandfather ended up as a military policeman in North Africa, and my other grandfather was Medical Corps, and he'd actually been out in the Far East and helping a lot of the POWs when they were released sort of rehabilitate and I don't know if he was trying to talk me out of going in but he was kind of this is the real yeah showing you the point real... yeah okay well I mean, yeah that's good I
0: mean some sometimes you need a reality check you know when you're a young man sometimes like you yeah. see all these wonderful machines and everything you want to join the military somebody needs to yeah. maybe tell you the other side of it so how does that lead you down the path
1: of obviously getting into the recruiting office and choosing the cat babs that you chose as I started to find out more about what i could do within the army i I think my parents or especially my dad he'd have preferred if i went down sort of like the engineers or the Sort of get a trade in case the army's not a good fit for you and then you at least you can you've got something to fall back on when you come out but as any young kid not listening to me dad and i saw the posters for the royal artillery and it was big guns and missiles and i Yep, that's what I want to do. Perfect. So um, I signed up, and October nineteen eighty nine, I packed my bags and headed off to. I went to the Junior Leaders Regiment. Okay. Um, in the I did was there for a year as my sort of trade training. I I became I did signals, and a lot of that was heavily to lent lent up heavily towards uh, fire missions and. Being a signaller in a, or as it was then, in a OP party working for a food. Yeah. That's
0: a unique way to come into the army. I mean, I've heard of junior leaders, and I maybe know one, I think I can remember one or two of my friends when I, you know, when I was joining up that were already doing that. But what does that
1: actually look like? Um, I, I think they call it the Army Foundation College now at Harrogate. Yeah. Back then, there was one for the Royal Artillery, the Royal Corps of Transport, as it was back then, the Royal Engineers. Um, I think some of the the infantry battalions had the junior, but it it was more like being at say a college. Yeah, and they get you for free as well because it's on pensionable service, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah towards the end, yeah, it did a little bit of education with the redid sort of GCSE level maths. Uh, English they did some military studies, and also how the military works within the government, how government works, which that uh, that was quite interesting as a sixteen year old learning about how the bigger machine like twelve week basic recruit training then after that it was more military more your military skills and drills was still in there, but you did. It wasn't something I really paid attention to when I was at school. It, that wasn't something that really concerned me. And I resat my German GCSEs again. I didn't do particularly well at school. I was kind of an average, but I redid my German GCSE and did quite well. But And again, a lot of what we were trying to do was leaning heavily student. Um, I, w- I was in the Royal Artillery, I was probably going to end up I was a radio operator, I'd probably be assisting somewhere with fire missions, probably going to be stationed out in um, Germany, so I learned German as well, and then, yeah, yeah didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> yeah,
0: so obviously you read, arrived down at your uh, bent unit, which is obviously what what, isn't what you were expecting, were were you on the U firing units, or were you in headquarters because of your signals background, where did they Yeah,
1: uh, I got put onto a fire unit, so it was the old javelin, the so sort of, um the next phase on from blowpipe um i got put onto a fire unit detachment there and i could use the radio so that was good in a way i, I could be part of the team and i could watch the other guys with weapon system and kind of learning on the job before i actually got put on but first this is how the military really is i was sent to an air defence unit on the south coast of england and <laughs> um and Basic operators course. I stayed in that job role for 13 14 years. Okay, obviously, how does that set you up? Because I know obviously you then
0: take a different path. At what point does that, does the next portion of your life get offer, offered to you, or is that something that you have to like seek out? It, it,
1: within within the RA, you, you once you're in a career stream, you'll kind of, it, it's not rigid, you're on these tracks, and that's you for as long as you stay in there there always was scopes to go off and do other things when they had a reshape of the army they didn't need as much air defense as they used to and that's when all, all the different regiments came round. so the commando gunners came round, the airborne gunners 473 the special op guys they came down and so did the uav regiment that looked pretty interesting and talking to the guy everyone's bigging up their own unit that they would say oh, uavs this is the next step ahead so i i asked to transfer ended up lucky enough to be selected to go and i'm a change regiments and flying uavs which is a million miles from where i thought i'd ever be when i went through the careers office door in kettering yeah it's not it's not all the big guns and and, and all those things flying around
0: but saying that you obviously you come from an air defense background that must set you up for success understanding like some airspace issues and how airspace is built and things like that however what does it look like when you when you arrive there so what training do you go through what's the process to to you actually start you know flying um the uh,
1: yeah it it was a hell of a learning curve because you've got airspace, how does the UAV move around the battlefield, gunlines, mortars, rockets, anything like that. We had to stay out of the way of that, how that's all built. Also that it was um and it had because it was unmanned, it had to be separate from anything manned and theory of flight we were learning, met, or any munitions and how to fly the UAV, how to in the ground control station, how to make it all work. And also learning diagnosing during a mission um for a basic course it was good god no, there was such a lot how the aircraft worked for sort of basic fault. is there uh is that there, is there like a pipeline are you going one way or the other or is
0: it stepping stone through one platform to another
1: well when i did it at the time it was phoenix um it was like second generation really so you you could go in and do a basic operators course. They they liked you to have the bigger picture knowledge of airspace and ROZs and TDAs and all transit corridors and pretty billy basic that. But um, it wasn't anything you, as the level two operator, wasn't anything for you to be concerned with. Um, And then as when Phoenix went out and the Desert Hawk and Hermes 450 uh, platforms came on, they're a lot more sophisticated and again it was a another massive learning curve especially for the Hermes 450.
0: Yeah so is that where you predominantly went to was it to the Hermes?
1: Um, I, I was lucky enough I went on to Desert Hall which was okay. more in a Pinsgower and a Land Rover UAV I was Herrick 6 with 12 Met Brigade I was part of the BRF so for me, that that was great, was charging around the desert, Wimmick Land Rovers and uh, supporting them with a, just the small desert Hawk UAVs. That, that that was fantastic. Ready for the next step onto the bigger platform. When I made made the step onto the Hermes 450, I, I was a sergeant by then, so I became the mission commander, which was sort of tactical operation of the UAV. That was more to do with the... And it was more and more... That was getting more experience closer linking to the troops that we were supporting rather than actually flying the aircraft as such. But I still sat through the course and to learn how it all worked, just got that bit of underpinning knowledge. What do you uh, think,
0: um, what do you think the, the biggest myth about those sort of lower-end
1: tactical UAS is? I found it when we would turn up with a, whatever, whoever we were supporting, we were first looked at as a bit of... <laughs> the model airplane clubs here yeah and then give them some product and they're going to do uh, an operation or whatever uh, we we could tell them what's on the other side of that hill what's the other side of that wall how high is that wall how thick is the wall we can give them situational awareness we can get ahead of them and then all of a sudden actually these guys this is good kit and they especially commanders all of a sudden we only are on my first heritage there was only six detachments and when we were ha- they were looking to move the detachments to different companies or fob locations the local commanders didn't want no i want to keep my UAV asset and that was really good to see um but we did come across a lot of people kind of the jason born the james bond scenario of yeah zoom in and read that number plate uh, <laughs> no um on a hermes 450 mission over basra um the phone did ring from an ops room somewhere we were looking at two subjects and what are they talking about yeah there there, there is a bit of the like the hollywood factor of people think that the capability it can do more than it can yeah <laughs> I don't know. I'm saying a windowless box at the side of an airfield.
0: <laughs> What's hmm. your um, What was your primary interaction? What was the first sort of interaction you started to have? Because I know obviously uh, you're all artillery and stuff, but what was your first
1: interaction with JTACs or fires? <laughs> so that was with when I moved on to UAVs and we were with the Desert Hawk, we were with what um, JTAC and FST was with whoever we were supporting they would also control our airspace so they would give us a 10 kilometre ROS to operate in and then most of the time I would get my taskings off of the JTAC or the FST commander right I want you to look here I want what can you see here sort of PID or trying to ID targets
0: to prosecute so what Across that time, what was the what was the sort of like the biggest change? I know, obviously, um, 1988 right through, obviously, to um, into the into the double figure Herricks, That's quite a long period of time to be serving.
1: What's the biggest change you've seen in that time? It was the speed that everything happens. It, it's pretty much like whoever the guy is, who everything happens must happen to, um, out on the ground if if they need fires like fires or cars or anything coming in they need it now and to an extent as well i think um a lot of the responsibility is is starting to come down the ranks where you could have sergeants maybe even like senior corporals bombardiers calling in airstrikes or um yeah i mean that's
0: that's that's definitely becoming the, the norm now for a junior nco to be the guy Dealing with the fires and dealing with air and stuff like that, and uh, much more the coordinations, like the next the next sort of step up. So yeah, I definitely agree with that statement. Were you when you were planning for a mission or something? How did you, how were you set up inside the box? Did you have a certain set of procedures to follow? Were there a set of cribs? Yeah, you guys ran. What did it look like inside of there?
1: Yeah, so there'd be you'd have a uh, quick reference handbook. So we would fo- set a startup procedures. For the aircraft that we would follow there'd be a there'd also be a set a checklist of mission have we got comms to whoever we're supporting um just check everything's good to go before we take off yeah normally on, on the Hermes 450 the bigger system there'd be two guys sort of sat at the front of the box One would be actually in control of the aircraft, the other guy would be operating the payload and their mission or their workstations. They could switch between roles just to share the workload for an eight hour mission. If you're just watching a camera, your eyes can become tired after after a while. So they split between, and then the mission commander, he'd be essentially the link man to higher formation or whoever was. You were supporting at the time, filling out the mission report as it was going, as you were going, and sort of making the tactical decisions, and let the guys at the front of the box do all the technical stuff of where to put the aircraft and that. And I suppose it's like everything in everything in the military; it's pretty mundane until it's not, and then the workload just is insane. as soon as you get the troops in contact, everybody's on the radio. Telephones are ringing. We're in the the UAVs in this Ros at a certain altitude, and we've got to move over here because they're going to fire mortars, or um, Kaz is going to come in, and we've got to deconflict with them and make sure we stay out of the way of everyone. It's busy fast in there. What? Uh, yeah.
0: So. What uh, three skills? If someone was about to join the Royal Artillery and, and and they had sort of going down the UAS line in mind, what three things would you tell them? Like not the things they're going to learn already, but the sort of things they want to set themselves up with for success. I mean,
1: computer literacy is a big thing. Be good with uh, all um, good on computers. Um, everything is computer based with the UAVs and um, different menus being good with procedures um but there you, you do need to do a little bit of lateral think sort of mental exercises for example if a component stops working on the aircraft okay that's not working but is it going to have any other effects um so yeah i agree a good, good judge the- good judgment
0: yeah i think the soldier of the future he definitely needs to sorry be- i just lost you there Sorry man uh, yeah I'm just saying like the soldier of the future he definitely needs to be uh, tech savvy I'd say that anyone coming in now that doesn't think they need to be you know, how you know able to operate technology, even if you're serving now you need to be spun up on all that kind of stuff There's, uh, that's not even the future that's the now so I totally agree with your point. So
1: good multitasking and or prioritizing perform what is the most important job at the moment in two minutes time that might and constantly reassessing i think we, like i said before with the speed that everything happens now and you have to uh, it, it, yeah it, it can get very chaotic and intense very quickly as i'm yeah. sure it it, it can do anywhere in the military absolutely absolutely i think i think that's good advice
0: i, I mean it's good advice across the board it doesn't not necessarily for one subject anyone so what's it what's your best dip what's your uh what's your funniest story what's the silliest thing you've seen on
1: a downlink we watched it happen on the downlink but we wish we could have seen it from sort of the troops on the ground we were supporting an op in basra um the ground troops had gone into a building and we were we were looking for squirters sort of going out the back door or roof to roof and a guy got on the roof, and he'd gone down the street a couple of um, houses, and was hid in a bush in a garden somewhere. Um, we were on we were on the radio to the ground call sign, so and the, we were trying to talk him onto where this guy was hiding. And the we had a laser pointer, so can you put <laughs> pull this guy over? And yeah, the eye in the sky guy is over. always watching, right? Yeah um put the pointer on him so there would been this big invisible beam coming down to the guy hiding but lighting him up and these two guys just sort of casually wandered down the street and then like reached over the wall and what for sort of operationally
0: yeah you man know, you still got to you still got to fly the uas you're not getting off it that easy you can't sit there and sunbathe all day
1: ah uh, um <laughs> you can have a couple well, of hours off well we we absolutely need power of some sort uh radio and the equipment well with this it normally comes with it the the smaller systems it's surprisingly you can pretty much if we can carry it we can go there it's not perhaps or so if i uh if i was to obviously i think this is probably
0: a relatively easy question from you because it's probably the way you've always operated in some respects because you go to the box every time you go to control but if I was to take everything away, strip it back, put it on a desert island, and say, right, you've got to launch from here, what free items are you going to take with you to the desert
1: island to support yourself? When I was in, it perhaps wasn't where it was. He could throw it all in a Bergen and sort of the, the infantry sort of hump it around with guys, but, you know, we'd need a vehicle. But, yeah, it could pretty much take it anywhere.
0: So uh, if, if you're looking back, obviously, now on your career and you'd want to say anything to anyone that's still serving or – or any veterans what would your like sort of closing thoughts to
1: the whole community be i would say in sort of this community i, I do think you are at the leading edge of sort of war fighting this this is the way it's going to go Th- this is the future you are keep pushing forward you're you know riding the crest of that wave yeah. um it comes sort of, every time uh, another operation um you'll Sort of breaking new ground all of the time. Technology is changing. Um, in a way, the enemy's constantly changing. It, it, it's always, um, it's always different. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, mate. I mean, I-
0: thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, soul feed Forge Not Made, and the JTap Podcast take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community and we really appreciate them. Thank you everybody for listening.